Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 5, 1-18 After this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who has been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. Instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, Pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was, because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was this Jesus who had made him well. Therefore the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, My father is still working and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. A couple years ago, I found myself in a situation where I had some health problems and we couldn't really find a whole lot of answers. One of the issues I was having was uh, some pretty intense pain in my side. And uh, yeah, it made it so that like it radiated to my back. And when I get home from work, I, you know, try to play with the kids. But uh, most nights after dinner, I'd just lay on the floor in our living room and try to play with them while also getting some relief from the pain. At the same time, and it seemed unrelated, I wasn't, you know, no one really knew. Um, I had some pain like in my throat, like in my neck, kind of right here under my jaw on the right side, which made it hard to, it made it painful to sing, it made it painful to speak, and that's kind of a problem just with the nature of my job. And so I tried to not talk as much as I could, uh, which is really hard to not come off like you're angry all the time when you're just silent, right? And so... Uh, yeah, we didn't really get a whole lot of answers. Um, of course, when you try Googling things, that's not helpful either, because you, you, Google will give you two diagnoses, diagnoses, you could say. One, uh, either your problem is just seasonal allergies, or you're gonna die tomorrow. It's one of those two. That's, it's like 50-50 chance of rain. You know, it's like, how is that helpful? I don't get how that helps me at all, right? And so Google wasn't helpful. And so um, like most people, you can kind of like begin to think worst case scenario, right? Normally you don't think it's allergies. Normally you're gonna die tomorrow, in your mind at least. And so over the next couple of months, after like doctor's appointments and CT scans and trip to Iowa City and visiting specialists and some different, you know, prescriptions, stuff like that, like trying to figure out what's going on. Nothing's working. Uh, There was one guy, a doctor over at Sartori, who after about 10 minutes of sitting in his office describing what was going on, he kind of read my chart or notes, whatever doctors do. He said, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to cut out all fructose from your diet. And then he gives me a piece of paper that has all of the foods that fructose is in, which come to find out all food has fructose in it. So, so my diet was basically just, you can eat meat and pretty much nothing else, which you'd think was great until after, you know, a month and a half of just eating meat. So I became a full-time carnivore. And, uh, <laughs> but after about three weeks on this, on this really strict, no fructose diet, the pain was gone. After months of not getting answers, of talking to doctors and specialists, pain was gone. I went back to this guy for a follow-up, and I told him, I said, you'll never believe it. That's how he wouldn't believe it. Like, like the pain's gone. And he got this smile, this little smile, and he just said, I figured it would. And then he went on to describe the problem that I had and why that worked and all these kinds of things. You see... This guy wasn't guessing. He knew what my problem was. And because he knew what the problem really was, he was able to give treatment that really worked. And the reality this morning is that all of humanity has a problem. It's a problem we've had basically since the beginning. And it's a problem that is continually misdiagnosed. And because it's misdiagnosed, it's often mistreated. But what we're gonna see in our passage this morning is the problem that we all have and the treatment we all need. It's the problem we all have, the treatment we all need. And in John chapter five, the chapter starts off here in verse one, it says, after this, if." If you remember last week, this was, the, this was Jesus healing the Roman official's son. And so this is happening after that. We don't know how long after that, but it's happening sometime after this. And Jesus went to Jerusalem for a Jewish festival. We don't really know what the festival was. Just John often uses festival markers kind of throughout his book to kind of uh, point out the transition point out the transition of Jesus going from here to there and why he's doing it. So he goes to a Jewish festival and Jesus is walking in a place called the Sheep Gate, which was a small entrance on the northeast side of Jerusalem. And it was probably the same gate that is referred to back in the book of Nehemiah. And in this place, there was a pool called Bethesda. Look at verse three. At this pool, there's this pool and these five colonnades. Verse three, within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. See, the disabled of Jerusalem would come to this pool because it was surrounded by these pillars, these colonnades, and these colonnades often had like overhangs on them to kind of give them shade from the sun, shield them from the elements. And so this was kind of a good place for the disabled to go to kind of get some relief from the elements. But there was also a sense that apparently they believed that this pool had some healing powers to it which at this point, if you're reading your Bible, most of your translations probably don't have verse four. Have you noticed that? It goes to verse one, verse two, verse three, verse five. Is that a typo? You're like, oh, I found a typo. No, you didn't. Here's why. Because 
One, the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And the verse numbers and the chapter numbers weren't added until later on, right? That's just kind of for our point of reference so that we can read the Bible together and know where we're at, you know. But what happens when you're translating the Bible from one language, from one language to another is that you want to use as close to the original manuscripts as you can in the original language. And so older translations like the King James Version or the New American Standard, older translations were translated based off of manuscripts that weren't as old as the manuscripts we, ha we have now found. So essentially what happened was we found older manuscripts of the book of John, which didn't include what once was verse four. And so instead of just acting like that doesn't matter, good translators will update their translation to reflect that. And so for you, your Bible doesn't have verse four, but it's probably a footnote at the bottom. Verse four was probably added later on by a copyist to kind of give us an idea of what the local belief about this pool was at the time. And so your footnote probably says what used to be verse four. It probably says this, in relation to these people sitting at the pool, they were waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in at, after the water was stirred recovered from what ailment he had. This was probably added later on to give an explanation as to why are all these people, what, what did they believe about this pool? Now, the removal of verse four shouldn't make you doubt the truth of your Bible. If anything, it should give you more confidence in it. And here's why. Because we don't have anything to hide. These translators could have just acted like the older manuscript, probably the more accurate manuscript didn't exist, but they didn't because there's nothing to hide. And so in light of new information of an older manuscript, they made a change and made a footnote instead of a verse. And so it should give us more confidence in the validity of our scriptures to see these kinds of changes being made in light of new discoveries. But anyway, we don't exactly know what would happen with these stirrings. They thought it was an angel who would come down and stir the waters. There's a few other explanations that could be had as to why these waters would move or what kind of medicinal effects they would have on people. But either way, Whatever the different reasons were, this pool was clearly the object of hope for many of the disabled in the town. That's what we do know for sure. The disabled people in Jerusalem were looking to this pool to bring them healing. And here we have Jesus once again, walking among the disabled, walking among the broken, going to the most needy. You see, Jesus didn't spend his time in swanky hotels, rubbing shoulders with the rich and the elite. I mean, Jesus's fame is growing. He's becoming more well-known. You would think he wants to be around people who can continue to advance his ministry, to continue to give him validity. But what we see Jesus doing is he's continuing to have eyes for the broken. Jesus continues to have eyes for the outcast. These blind people who would never be able to find their way to Jesus, he found his way to them. These paralyzed people 
who could never walk to Jesus, Jesus ran to them, which I hope at this point in the book of John, as we're getting into chapter five, what we're seeing time and time and time again is that Jesus shows us that he isn't for the able-bodied. He's for the unable. That Jesus isn't for the popular. He's for the outcast. He's for the outsider. And here, look at verse five. Jesus is walking among the disabled. Verse five, one man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. 38 years. To us, that's middle-aged-ish. To them, that's pretty close to the average life expectancy of a man. Most of this guy's life, he had been disabled. And Jesus sees him and asks him a very interesting question. You see verse six? When Jesus saw him lying there and realized he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Jesus has a way of cutting through the formalities. He has a way of really getting to the point. See, Jesus is constantly, as he's interacting with people, he's trying to get a sense of what people think is their greatest need and what they think is their solution to that need. See, this guy obviously knew he had a problem, right? Like Jesus isn't asking this guy, do you want to get well? Because there's some category where the guy like doesn't want to get well. I mean, clearly he's been there his whole life. Of course, the answer is I want to get well, Jesus. How much more aware of your problem could you be than a lifetime of physical suffering? And so here's what this guy answers in response to Jesus's kind of peculiar question. Verse seven says, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Essentially what this guy's saying is like, Jesus, of course I, of course I wanna get healed. Like, of course I wanna get healed, but my problem is that I don't have anyone to help me get to the thing that will heal me. I want healed, I just can't get to the place of healing. He thought he understood how God worked for broken people like him. He thought he understood it. There was a guy in our connection group, a, a friend of ours, and uh, his life was a mess. It was, it was great. And so we were talking about prayer one day and he's like, he's like, yeah, I don't, I try not to pray too much. This was, I love this honest answer. He's like, I, I try to only come to God with big things because he, he's a busy guy. Like that was his view of like God. It was like, God's a busy guy. There's a lot of people. I'm just gonna come with the big stuff because I don't wanna waste his time. I love the honesty. But the way my friend viewed God is the same way that this guy viewed God. That in his mind, God worked on a first come, first serve basis. That as long as you had even a little bit of ability to take advantage, healing could be had. As long as you could like kind of get yourself there. But if you didn't have the means, if you didn't have the strength, if you didn't have like the, like the social connection to be able to at least contribute something, then you're out of luck. 
You see, what this guy, this guy wasn't looking for a healer because he already had that one covered. Like he wasn't looking for a source of healing. He already knew in his mind, he's like, the pool will heal me. I don't need a healer. It's right there. All I need is a helper. All I need is someone to get me to the thing that I already believe will heal me. He wasn't looking for a healer. He was looking for a helper. A helper to get him to what he thought would really heal him. What about you? What do you want from Jesus? I mean, like, what do you really, really want? Like, what is the need? What is the problem? What is the issue? What's the desire that you have that you think if I just got that, or if I just lived there, or if I just got him or her or that thing, or went to that place or got that much of whatever that is, then my problems would be solved. If I could only find a doctor that knew what was wrong, then I would get better. If I only had more money, then my problems would go away. If I only got him or got her, or if I only found that relationship, then I would be filled up. You see, this guy was so focused on the pool as the solution to his problem that he missed the fact that Jesus Christ, the fountain of living water, stood right before him. His problem wasn't that he didn't want to be healed. His problem was that he was trusting in the wrong thing to heal him. And Jesus seeing his need, says eight simple words in verse eight, look at this. Get up as though he had never thought to try that before. 38 years, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Eight simple words. No water, no pool. Jesus didn't even touch the guy. Eight words. Proving to this guy that a word from Jesus is greater than water from any pool. But if that isn't surprising enough, this guy had to have been surprised. Like everyone had to have been, this guy, 38 years, his whole life, his whole life, couldn't walk, now he could walk. That's surprising. But Jesus says something even more surprising. Fast forward to verse 14. This guy runs into some Jews. We'll get back to that in just a minute. But Jesus kind of runs off. The guy can't find, like doesn't know who he is or where he is at. And Jesus finds him later in the temple. And more surprising than get up, pick up your mat and walk, Jesus says something in verse 14. It says, after this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. What is the deal, Jesus? Like... This guy should be celebrating. He should be joyful. This should be a, like, like a momentous occasion where he's enjoying his newfound freedom and being able to walk. And here you come like Debbie Downer. Like you want to talk about sin? Why? Why would Jesus do this? It's because 
Like we saw in chapter one, verse 14, that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. See, Jesus, notice the order here. Jesus was patient enough to meet this guy's physical need before ever bringing up his spiritual need. Oh, he had a need for both. But Jesus had the patience to address the one so that he would be in a position to address the other. See, it wasn't as though Jesus was neglecting this guy's spiritual need. It just wasn't the first thing that he addressed. See, I, I think it's really easy sometimes for us as believers to very clearly and precisely see somebody's sin and at the same time neglect their suffering. John Piper once said, Christians care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. But it can be so easy for us, can it not? to be quick to point out the sin, to be quick to point out the problem. Yes, we all have a greater spiritual need that our sin has separated us from a holy God that we stand under his wrath. Yes, we have a great spiritual, eternal need, but is that not often drowned out by the suffering of this life? It can be incredibly difficult to hear the gospel over a growling stomach. But often I fear what we want to do is address the spiritual problem and neglect the physical problem. See, it's kind of like if you're driving down the interstate and it's, I mean, we're coming into winter here, so this is like might actually happen. You know, you're driving down the interstate, someone hits a, a patch of black ice in front of you, their car spins out, they flip into the ditch. You're like, oh my word, like that was terrible. You run down there, the guy who was driving the car has a chunk of glass in his neck, he's bleeding out. The reality is that that is not the time to talk about proper winter driving technique. As much as that will be helpful, like next time he hits ice, understanding a little bit more about like how to avoid what he has just experienced, like that will be great, but the dude is bleeding out. It's not time for a lecture about what he's done wrong. It's time to meet the great immediate need that he has right there. Because he's not gonna be able to hear your driver's ed lesson over the noise of his broken body. See, Christians are radically pro-life. Here's what I mean. Christians care not only for vulnerable children in the womb, but also vulnerable people in our society. Both, not one, not the other, both. Don't just get passionate about one. Be passionate about both. See, Jesus is full of grace. He met this guy's physical need, but he's also full of truth 
Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Like something worse. There's something worse than being disabled your entire life. There's something worse than physical suffering for your whole life. What could possibly be worse than legs that are broken for a lifetime? Here's what it is. Here's what it is. It's a soul that is broken for eternity. You see, this guy's disabled body was just a symptom of his disabled soul. And this guy didn't, and Jesus didn't give this guy health for health's sake. He gave this guy health so that he could walk in holiness. It wasn't just so that he could walk. It's great that he could walk. But in what way should this guy walk? walk in holiness. See, there are worse things than eyes that don't see, legs that don't walk, wombs that won't conceive, and cancer that won't go away. And that worst thing, the worst thing, something worse than a broken body is a broken soul that is still in its sin, separated from a holy God who loves you, wants relationship with you, but you are separated by your sin. That is what is worse. Don't sin so that something worse won't happen to you. There's something worse than a lifetime of suffering. And that's an eternity of separation from a holy God. What do you really want? If Jesus could come right now, in this moment, step into your life with all the problems you went to bed thinking about last night and the problems that were the first thing on your mind as you woke up this morning, if Jesus could come and in a moment take those problems away but leave you in your sin, would that be enough? What is it that you really want Jesus to do for you? Do you want him as a helper to take you to what you really want? Or do you trust him as your savior? The very source of life and healing. Do you simply want a change in your circumstances or do you want a change in you? Do you just want Jesus to help you or do you want Jesus? But see, this healed guy wasn't the only person who had misplaced his trust. Look at verse nine. So Jesus says, get up. Instantly the man got up, got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. This guy, 38 years disabled, surely these Jews had seen him, had heard his voice calling out for help. Like, help me get into the pool. These Jews knew, like, who this guy was, and here he comes. And they're like, great, like, you're healed, whatever. Why are you carrying your mat? It's the Sabbath, don't you know? The Sabbath, the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments given to God's people as a day of rest from their labor, as a day of trusting in God to provide rather than trusting in the work of your hands to provide for you. And so in an effort to not break the Sabbath command that was given back in the Old Testament, what the Jews did was instead of just following the command, they were so concerned about not breaking the command that they would create rule after rule after rule after rule to kind of like keep them from even getting close to possibly breaking it. They would kind of buttress the command with a whole bunch of other rules around it. And in doing so, 
they had completely missed the point of the Sabbath. A day that was given by God for rest had turned into a day of rules. A day that was meant supposed to be, that was supposed to be a blessing had become a burden. Because the reality was that there was no rule command in the Old Testament about not carrying a mat. There wasn't one. You won't find one. Look in your Bible. There is no command about not carrying a mat. But to them, there was. See, the interesting thing was that if, if this guy had been wearing his mat, see, they had a rule that you couldn't carry certain things for a certain distance, but you could wear whatever you wanted because wearing something isn't carrying it, it's wearing it. So if it was a piece of clothing, he'd be fine. So if he could have turned it into like a shawl or some sort of cape, I don't know if they had capes back then, probably not. Superheroes weren't invented. You know, like if he could have been wearing it, he'd have been fine. Like it's just clothing, right? But because he had rolled it up and was carrying his mat, big no-no, you're working. Stop working. You see, the reality was that this guy wasn't breaking the law. He was breaking their law. So if you weren't following their rules, then you weren't resting on the Sabbath. In the same way, just as this disabled man had been trusting in a pool for true healing, the Jews had been trusting in their rules for true rest. They both had the same problem. It's they had put their trust in the wrong thing. A pool over here, a rule over there. The needy and the religious totally missing Jesus. But then Jesus came, showing that it doesn't matter how much help you get or how many rules you follow, true healing is found in the fountain of living water, Jesus Christ. True rest is found in the true Sabbath rest that Christ came to accomplish, that true healing and true rest aren't found in your ability or obedience, but are found in him and him alone. See, some of you think that if as long as you can like kind of clean yourself up and get yourself to God, like that he'll accept you. Like, well, I'm, 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 I'm too far gone now. Like I can't, I'm not quite ready yet. I need to get a few things figured out in my life. Like I need to, I need to become a little bit more obedient, a little bit better, and then maybe God will accept me. But don't you realize that the law of God, the rules of God were never given so that we could trust in our ability to fulfill them. The law was given as a mirror, not as detergent. There's a difference. Mirrors are really, really helpful in showing you how dirty you are. That's the law of God. Mirrors are terrible at washing your face. And what the Jews were trying to do was they were trying to wash the filth of their life off with the mirror. But the good news of the gospel isn't try harder so that you can get to God. No, the good news of the gospel is see what God has done to get to you. Cease from your striving. 
If someone asked you, are you a Christian? Someone came up to you and said, are you a Christian? And if your answer is, man, I'm really trying, you don't understand grace. Because the gospel is not about how hard you're trying. The gospel is about who you are trusting. You see, when Jesus said that he works on the Sabbath, because his father works on the Sabbath, Jesus was declaring then and there that he is God. And as God, you can stop trusting in the pools of this life and run to the fountain of living water. You can stop trusting in your obedience. Stop trusting in your ability to follow all of the rules of your own effort. And trust in Jesus, who lived a perfect life on your behalf, the life you couldn't live, and died the death that you deserved, and rose again on the third day, that you may have life. Believe in his name, the fountain of living water, the source of true Sabbath rest. Jesus Christ is God. That's why the Jews got so upset. That's why they wanted to kill him. Cody will cover that next week. That's not my main point here. My main point is what are you trusting in to bring you healing? And what are you trusting in to bring you rest? Look no further than Jesus Christ. Believe in him this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we thank you. Fountain of living water. You are sufficient for true healing, for true rest. I pray that anyone in this room today who has not yet received your free gift of salvation through your finished work on the cross, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in their hearts? Would they respond in faith to cease from their striving to receive your finished work? Oh, we thank you, God, for the healing that we have in Christ and the rest that you have accomplished for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.